Welcome to Scale Up by Launchvik. I'm Martin Hosking. Hi, I'm Courtney Carthy, and this episode is a collection of interviews with Martin Hosking, currently outgoing CEO, but always co-founder of Redbubble. It's not very long, but it's about the experience of being involved from the start until now, before and soon to be after. The recordings were made over three sessions in the middle of 2018 and have been condensed down to about 20 minutes to keep the episode focused on his perspective and the difficulty of entrepreneurship in the Australian context. Please don't feel this is a definitive representation, but one snapshot of many that are necessary to make a broader picture, though Martin does have an extensive and rare insight. To start, some of his thoughts on being a CEO as a company matures. It's really easy, particularly for a CEO, to just cause chaos by um, being too busy. Particularly now, I, when we're in the early years, we were, we were frantic we're all the time. But now, and, and I think one of the dangers is you continue like that as a CEO. And you continue to you know, try to generate activity. Whereas the reality is that you know, most of the activity has to, will be gener- self-generated by the people rather than by, you, by me. So I, I try not to get too frantic, yeah. Like sort of a steady hand... Well, yes, because that, that's you know the the, the you know that I think my number one job is to keep that keep people focused and and, and lined up. Um, it's not, and that is almost invariably by having people do less rather than having people do a lot more. Um, and I think that you get sort of uh, hyper anxious CEOs who don't focus on. And really steady execution. And for my mind, Redbubble is really about a sort of a steady execution. I was speaking to um, a very senior venture capitalist who was the founder of one of Australia's largest uh, technology companies. Uh, and I was asking him whether or not he'd, he he regrets or, and he said he'd never do a startup again. Just the sort of the just the the energy required to do it, the the level of. Um, of you know cut through which you require is just so extreme um, in those early years you just your your everything is, is is amped up so highly um and the highs are very high in terms of the feedback which you get and like, but then you're just dealing often with you know crisis after crisis after crisis and those are those can be financial crises they can be crises of supply crises just just on on, on multiple dimensions as you try and get things working uh, and you have and each of those crises typically are brand new for you as a firm and so you don't have a way of typically dealing with them as well do you get much downtime oh yeah sure yeah no, no, you have to take downtime I, I'm, I'm as i said to you before i'm lazy i i think that i think you can be work too hard so i from my point of view um I'm, i meditate in the morning i um meditate in the morning i make sure i get out to um get go out to the farm i make sure i um i get to the gym so I don't, you know, I think it's really easy, um, particularly in sort of this sort of environment, to end up doing too much. And the reality is that, um, you know, in any given context, if you do a lot of stuff, probably you're going to waste an awful lot of time and effort. So for me, it's trying not to do the stuff which is wasted. Did you ever get sick or notice anything like that? 
No, I didn't. I didn't get sick, um, and I sort of had some reasonably good coping mechanisms in place. And I think that you, you know, everybody I, I met who's gone through a starting successful start, they tend to get some good coping mechanisms. I spoke speaking to another founder, and his coping mechanism was he'd say, "Oh, I'm just grateful I'm born in Australia. Even if everything goes completely wrong, I've still got the, you know, I've got still got a decent welfare net, but beneath me." Um, and that was the sort of, and you all, and you have to have that that notion of that there is a, that, that that there is always going to be a way out. Um, if you don't, I think you you just really couldn't do it. Um, uh, I think that, and and that can, and and for me, um, it was always a consciousness of the of the um, uh, of you know I've got lots of skills and capabilities, and there were always choices. Uh, but never, nevertheless, you very much take on board the organisation and being a sort of a, you know, you've got to be careful not to see it as an extension of yourself because if you do, then you, you know, to, if the organisation goes, uh, if something goes wrong, it feels like you are personally injured. But it's hard not to take, feel like that as well. What, is that, what are your coping mechanisms? Oh, so my coping mechanisms was for, for, for me, I was always, I always had, you know, at least a reasonable sense of distance, you know, even, the, even though I was taking it on, I was always saying, this is actually not, it is actually not me, I'm not this, I'm not the organisation, therefore, you know, there's a, there's a separation there. I also, I think there's, I've, I have a group of, there's a group of um, sort of C, senior CEO founders um, uh, who will tell all the stories of the disasters and the tough times in the organisations. I've heard these stories. And one of the very, very common things is, is you often rely back on your family and people close to you as well. Um, I think if without that, it would be very difficult. And so, you know, for me, my family was clearly very important. Uh, and that was, a, a, that was a, a support structure there for me. You know, I'm celebrating my 30th wedding anniversary this year. That's been fundamentally, um, you know, fundamental bulwark for me. Um, I think as well, you know, I've always kept a, a reasonable um, exercise regime. I've always ridden the bike uh, and I've always sort of, uh, you know, and more recently been meditating. I, I can very vividly recall, and this was when we were in Collingwood, and but, but perhaps before, when getting into work on a Monday was, you know, I think we all have can have Monday artists, but this was at a, sort of at an extreme level. You know, I, I had to sort of get in when we when I got into work, I'd be sitting in my car just breathing deeply, you know, knowing that it was going to be another really tough week, you know, and or a tough day. Uh, and that was, and just, and you'd, I'd sit there quite, I'd be very conscious of the fact that, you know, I was, uh, yes, I was anticipating what was going, what was going to come, but it was that sort of sense of, um, of, of, of stress and tension, um, and it's that sort of, and it's funny you get slightly disembodied in that in this in, during these times because well, you exist in this strange world of, of anticipation of the potential of what it can look like if it's successful, but against the reality of you know imminent failure, and you know to start up to live on that line of imminent failure, and I'm I'm very and governments typically dramatically underestimate this, and when you look back, risk always looks much less risky. Um, you know if you if you look back and uh, at the time though. When you're contemplating, you know, you know, disaster on a sort of a weekly or daily basis, um, you know, it's very, very stressful for all of those involved. And startups are all like that. I've never heard a story of a startup which is, hasn't got that aspect built into it. I asked Martin if he had any sayings or quotes that he applies to the job. Didier Elzinger from Culture Amp and Scale Up Season One is a self-confessed bowerbird for these nuggets. 
Martin said he very much likes the poem If by Roger Kipling, but what he said straight after that is a tad easier to remember if you need something in a hurry. That's coming up in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please let a friend or colleague know about it and have a look at launchvic.org. There's great information about Victoria's startup ecosystem, resources for startups if you're on that journey, and funding that's aimed at startup sector specialists who can deliver programs and support the Victorian ecosystem. Back to Martin, though, and to something he reminds himself of when things are especially tough. Uh, I, well, I, I've got a sort of my core, I, you know, I've got this sort of thing, it will all be okay, which sounds incredibly trite. But what I mean by that is it's actually sort of, it is actually okay. You know, you know we get ourselves very bent out of shape by things and um, we uh, our minds are, are always in this sort of intensely chattering mode, uh, often self-critical uh, or critical of others, uh, and not just accepting of the situation as it is. Um, and and also thinking somehow that it's you know we're anticipating a fearful or, or much worse future. Um, now I, you know, my way of characterising this very personally is is just a sense it's going to be okay. You know it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. Um, and it's you know the the, the 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 all of the the you know you're spending people are typically spending you know eighty plus percent of their mental energy contemplating you know futures which won't unravel well won't unfold in that way and it's not that one shouldn't prepare for these things but you shouldn't you know having deep levels of emotional anxiety around uh, a future which hasn't which may or may not occur is just a waste of energy um, and so and and I you know and my my fundamental view is that in some senses it is both okay now and it will be okay um, and if I can communicate that I was just talking to somebody over lunch and I was talking about you know one of their employees was getting very anxious about it and I said you know all she's doing is she's reacting to the negative emotional energy of people around her rather than just you know a sense of st- inner stability and it's actually okay you know you know, you know and uh, so I, one other way of characterising this is that a very, very, very senior, very successful Australian entrepreneur uh, found a big, big company, much bigger than Redbubble. You know, he just, I asked him for advice and said, remember, Martin, it's just a job. And he didn't mean that in, you know, it's an important job, do it as well as you can, but don't get too, don't attach your identity and who you are to it. You know, you're, you always remember that you're something other than that and that, you know, in one sense is, and so in, you know, this is why I'd characterise it, it'll be okay. You know, you're, you are not that, you are not that external set of circumstances. Lastly, like many people at Redbubble, Martin contributed to the blog, part of the profile available on the site. I've read through a few of these while making the series and one Martin had written in the early days of the company seemed to be quite insightful. Right, from 2006. So this is from November 17, 2006. So Redbubble's been going um, for uh, nine months, eight months. Over the last few months, I've read biographies of Chairman Mao, Steve Jobs and B. Griffiths. The three men's lives provide complementary illumination on the puzzling question of what to do how to live, and even why to live. After less troubling questions, 
and what to do with the life we have. The how is readily answerable by a moral framework. The why is tricky, but in the quiet moments of contemplation, slowly fades as a real dilemma. The what recurs, badly illuminated by the prophets and untouched by contemplation. Um, can you tell me why you... Yeah. Or, or how does that make you feel now? Because I imagine you've been... It's a, well, it's, it, I am in a different space, but it's a, it, it, I, I recall why I was talking about it and, why I was, and where I, my headspace was at the time. Um, so let's just reflect on it a little bit. Um, how to live, in one sense, is, and I, I think I do, I address it directly, you know, knowing the difference between good and bad... Uh, which is really what I'm reflecting on a moral framework. How one should live, you know, is is as I say, answered by a moral framework. Um, if you don't have a moral framework, then clearly how you should live is is quite a difficult question to it. But if you do have a moral framework and you think that that moral framework should guide your decisions, even though you may not always abide by it, and we all and none of us do ultimately, uh, you know, I think well, rare rare is a saint who is uh, whose whose entire life is guided by their moral framework. But for most, for most of us, we do have a moral framework, at least after some level of maturity, and that guides how you should live. Um, why, the why of life, as I say, it is tricky, um, but it also is not a, a um, it is also not a question um, that gets often in the way of life itself. Uh, clearly, if you're, you know, uh, chronically depressed or uh, are in a very bad shape, why of life is, is very difficult. But for most of us, we can leave the, leave the question unanswered. We don't, doesn't, we don't sort of wake up in the morning and go, why am I here, typically, and, and think that, oh, well, I should be doing something else other than living. We just live. Um, and so, and, and certainly... If you have a reasonably reasonable contempl- contemplation practice, you allow you're you're comfortable with the notion that of the why being unanswered, um, and or being answered by in that sort of uh, um, in this in that sort of sense is a saying that life is not so much a problem be, to be solved as a mystery to be lived, um, and so even if you're not solving the problem, the fact that you're living the mystery will answer the question of why. Um, but the what is difficult because what is what it's really talking about here is what should you do, you know. Even if you're contemplate comfortable with the moral framework by which you're guiding the actions, even if you're comfortable with the why, what you should actually do on a day-to-day basis is can be quite difficult. Um, and uh, very relatively early on, before I actually started Red Bubble, a venture capitalist said to me that the rarest thing was somebody who truly knows what they want. Um, And knowing what you want answers the what. If you want uh, something, it'll answer the what. Now, in one way as well, I say it's badly illuminated by the prophets and untouched by contemplation. It's really in in meditation where you get you know serious clarity about what you should do on a day to day basis. You do sometimes get some degree of clarity, um, but you know the 
the profits, or profits, or you know, they won't they won't tell you whether or not you should be in business, or whether or not you should be a soldier, or whether or not you should be, um, you know, a farmer or a priest, or you know, whether or not you should be a fireman. Those that's not the sort of question they deal with. It's a question if they, they once you've answered that question, they'll tell you how you should do it. Um, and they may even answer the question of why you should do live at all, but they won't tell you actually what. Um, and so that's where the where it comes up. And I and it's an interesting one thing for me to be have written. Uh, I'm because at least at that stage, um, back in two thousand and six, I had established I was reasonably clear to some extent on the what because, you know. I had Redbubble came out of this idea, this fundamental idea, that um, it should be doing something which was meaningful, um, and in and I was really in that sense reacting to my previous experience and um, uh, particularly with uh, with LookSmart, and I said that it needs to be, you know, and it was and that was why we've been so clear about this notion of a mission of a you know a reason for being uh, because that reason for being in a sense says what we are doing is serving artists enabling creativity uh, and my what is is also answered that what I should be doing is doing that uh, and that and that and because it came out of a of, out of a genuine mission of of a you know a higher order purpose it answers that question but it's a it's a it's a you know it's a you know not the worst blog post I've ever read. <laughs> Twelve years later, are you satisfied with, you know, the the what that came out? Yeah. Yes, I am. I'm. I'm satisfied. No, yes, I am very much satisfied with it. I think we have we've been true to a higher order purpose, a mission, uh, which is, and ultimately success. You know, people will judge my success externally uh, by the. You know how big Redbubble is, or how valuable Redbubble is, or whatever other metric they want to use. The metric which I will use, um, and I, is that it has pursued its its purpose. It has enabled artists to many, you know, hundreds of thousands of artists to make much more of a living than they would otherwise, and it has genuinely brought more creativity into the world. Um, all of those things are, are fundamentally important. You know, the things which I you know, probably uh, believe in more than anything else are uh, the pursuit of meaning as a as a as an as an ideal in life. Um, the creativity as being one of the most fundamental ways in which one can pursue that meaning. It's not the only way, but it's it's one of the most important ways. Certainly, as a co- as a collective consciousness, it is. Uh, and finally, the idea of love and and uh, sorry, idea of love as in human interaction as as underpinning that, or not just human interaction, interaction with the natural world as well. Um, so, you know, those three things uh, I think have run through uh, where Redbubble is at the moment. You know, I think we're an unusual company as having compassion as one of our core values. Clearly, creativity is at the heart of what we do, and I think that we have um, pursued a meaning as in a higher order purpose um, pretty vigorously and pretty much without compromise. I suppose examples of that would be the lawsuits or public statements that you made, Uh, just in that last point. Well, without compromise is is really that, you know, we haven't, 
we haven't got distracted to think that we should be doing something fundamentally else. You know, for example, you know, we could raise a lot of money and we could decide, decide to buy a whole lot of companies which are unrelated. You know, companies do do this. They, they, they have a purpose and suddenly they end up doing something quite unrelated to their purpose just because they have the resources or the time or they define what they do by how they, you know, sorry, they define what they can do by what they do by the capabilities that they have. Now, Redbubble has the capabilities to do an enormous number of things, but our choice about what we do is not defined by what we can do, but what we, by what we should do. Uh, and those are quite a different things. And so, you know, the, the truth to the purpose, no, I don't think the lawsuits are a big part of that, to be honest. Um, um, it really is just that we have not, we have not taken on and tried to do something other than what we were brought into, you know, the reason why we came into existence. Thanks for listening to this slightly different episode of Scale Up from LaunchVic. Check out launchvic.org and leave a review where you're listening. Next up, Redbubble is not immune from controversy, not unfamiliar to the courtroom, nor shy of sticking to its principles. Throw in a Senate submission and you've got almost all the ingredients for the coming episode. It's a difficult one to defend freedom of speech and it's a different, difficult to defend um, creative expression. And we've seen this in Australia as well because it's very easy for the opponents on the other side who are wanting to limit it to portray um, uh, those the, the defenders of this as creating something which is objectionable or creating something which you know, you know, other people find offensive. I'm Courtney Carthy. Talk to you next episode on Scale Up. 